We've been looking through this series called Disconnected, okay? And we've looked at not exactly like how we recover from being disconnected from God, but how we can prevent ourselves from becoming disconnected from God. Because the whole reason we're talking about this is because we've had what I feel was such a great summer um, leading into this school year. And I feel like a lot of you guys really grew in your faith and really became very connected with God over the summer. And what I hope for you is that you don't lose that connection with God. And and so what I'm trying to do here, because I feel like every year, you know, we have a great summer and everyone gets like really close to God and, you know, they're really reading their Bible and praying. And then we go back to school and all that stuff starts to fall away and we lose this connection to God. And so next summer we have to get reconnected to God and like everything. And, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you guys to, to remain connected with God, not become disconnected from God. And so we've been looking at these things that leave us disconnected from God. And so far, two, uh, like three weeks ago, actually, we talked about parasitic sin. And we talked about how sin in our lives can be like uh, a small thing that we don't even think is that bad. But it can like snowball and it can grow into something that is like consuming our life. And it causes us to become disconnected from God. And then last week, we talked about selfish pride. And we talked about how this, this like arrogance that we have for ourselves and, you know, wanting what we want and wanting things to be the way we want and wanting our lives to go the way that we desire ultimately disconnects us from God because he has a plan for us. And if we're not following that plan, then we are disconnected from God. So today we're going to talk about something that deals more with where we place our focus and our priorities. And so what we're going to call this is we become disconnected from God when we have misplaced affection. Now we know that affection is just basically a fancy word for love, like, or things that we care about, right? And so this idea of misplaced affection means that we care about things or we love things that we shouldn't care about or we shouldn't love, right? We, we misplace our affection. Now, <clears throat> this can get kind of tricky because showing affection and showing love to people is something that the Bible teaches a lot, right? And, and, and honestly, if you've been around me at all, you know that this idea of loving one another and loving people as Christ loved us is like a big thing about what I teach and what I preach on is this idea of we need to love. But we have to understand that if our love and our affection gets directed in a wrong way, it becomes very problematic for our lives. Now, like I said, we've talked many times about how God calls us to love one another and love everyone else, love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Many of us could probably even quote that, if I would have said, love your neighbor as you, you would have said, love yourself, right? Like we know that biblical principle and we understand that God tells us to love people. So then why does God then turn around and tell us not to love the world? Like, how does that work? How does God tell us to love others, but not to love the world? And so tonight we're going to talk about the important difference between loving the world and showing love to the world. Now, we've talked many times about this, about loving others. And this is so true because 
we as Christians are called to and should show love to everyone, even those who feel like they are unlovable. Like, we all know those people that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand to be around them. Like, they are the most unlovable human on the face of the planet, okay? Like, we know those people. And as Christians, we're not called to just be like, hey, you know, it's easy for me to love my best friends because, you know, we, we like the same things and we like to do the same stuff and we can hang out together. Like, God calls us to love all people, which means your best friends and that person that you were probably thinking about whenever I said we all know someone who's unlovable. But then we see this verse in 1 John where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then love for the Father is not in him. So what does this mean? How can we love people like the Bible tells us to and not love the world like the Bible tells us to. And I think it's because this verse more than discuss, more is discussing loving the things of this world than the people in the world, right? Like we, we can sit here and we can say like, okay, these things that are of the world, like these, these things that are against God, these evil things. And I mean, we could, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to like name a bunch of things of the world. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But these things of the world, these things that get kind of pushed down our throats as, you know, agendas or whatever, these things of the world are things that are against God. <clears throat> and, and while people tend to, like, embrace them, like, the, they'll, they'll identify with some particular stance that goes against God, we're, we're not so much called to dislike that person as we are to dislike the thing of the world. There, there's this saying, and, and, and this saying is a little bit problematic, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, because I think it kind of speaks to what we're talking about. And it says, love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? It's the idea of loving people who are sinners, but hating the sin that they commit with their lives. Now, we have to understand that our hearts, in a way, like, only have space to love so much, right? Just like, just like our time in the day, we only have time for so much stuff. Like, we can't literally do everything in the day that we want to do. We can't love everything we want to do, give attention to everything that we want to with our lives. And so we have to realize that anytime we fill our hearts with love for the things of this world, we're taking up space and pushing out love for God that we have in our hearts. And so literally what happens is we go through this process like I was talking about where we have this amazing summer where we really connect with God and the love of God is just filling up our heart and we're just focused on him and we're committed to him and we're reading our Bible, we're we're praying, we're, we're coming to church, we're listening to his word and we're just full of this overflowing of a love for God. And as we get back into the world and we start surrounding ourselves with with kids at our school who maybe aren't as in love with God as you were, little by little, the things of this world start to move into our hearts. 
And what happens is as it's moving in, it's taking up space that was formerly filled with a love for God. And that's how this disconnect happens. That's how we lose this connection between us as God is because we allow our heart and the love that we have to be filled with things of this world instead of God. You look at Matthew 6, 24, and it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, Jesus is specifically talking about what he says next is you cannot serve God and money. And so he's specifically talking here about a love for God and a love for money, and you can't love both is is specifically what he's talking about here. But the premise is that you can't have two masters. You can't serve God, and you can't also serve the things of this world at the same time. They don't work together. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that money, the thing he was talking about, is something of this world. It's one of the things of this world that we should not place our affection in. And so this verse overall gives us context for the first verse that's in 1 John 2 about how loving the world doesn't fit with our idea of loving God or God's idea of us loving people, others. <clears throat> so we read on in 1 John 2, verse 16, and it basically says that if you love the world, so verse 15 says, if you love the world, then you can't love God. And verse 16 says that if you choose to love the world, but you say you love God, that, 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 that can't be true. Those things don't go together. Right? Like if you're sitting here and you're coming to church and you're like, I love God and I want to learn more about God. But you go to school and you live your life loving the world and the things that this world has to offer then you coming to church and saying you love God is not something that is true. And that can be hard to hear because like a lot of us are like, well, I really do love God, but I just love the things of this world too. Like I, I, I can do both. Like I can come to church and love God, but I can also love the things that I want outside of church. And the Bible just very clearly lays out that that is not true. Between that verse in Matthew and this verse in 1 John, we see that you have to choose. You have to choose where you place your affection. Either you place your affection, your love with God, and care for the things that he says, the things that he teaches, or you care for the things of this world. Now, I feel like right here, John could have just like finished his case, and he could have been like, look, boom, done. But he went on to make... Two more points in the following verses about why we should not place our love in things of the world. First, the world and its pleasures, or what he says in there, its lusts, will pass. Now, if I, if I were to ask you guys, and I don't know if any of you guys in here are proficient with stocks, I would think... None of you probably are, but maybe some of you would surprise me and be like, yes, I watch the business channel every day and I follow the stocks. But let me ask you something that I would hope you all can understand about stocks. If I told you that you can buy stock in a product that is consistent, like a company that is consistent or consistently like improving over time, or buy stock in one that is going bankrupt currently, which one are you going to buy stock in? 
the first one, right? The one that's constantly improving, like has steady growth, not the one that's going bankrupt. No one would be dumb enough to buy stock in a company that is going bankrupt, yet many Christians and humans overall continue to choose the way of the world over the way of God. And, and the Bible tells us, and, and we have to really kind of come to this point to where we say, does what the Bible said, do I believe that what the Bible says is true? Like we have, to, we have to ask ourselves that right now because if we believe what the Bible says is true, the Bible tells us that the things of this world are fleeting, meaning they are literally dying, meaning they are going bankrupt. And, and I think if we really ask ourselves, like, hey, let me think about all the things of this world <clears throat> that, that, you know, people say go against Christianity or things go against God. How many of them lead to good outcomes? How many of them, like, over the long haul, whenever you're 90 years old, sitting in your rocking chair, go, man, I'm really glad that I did X, Y, and Z because it has led to a lifetime of fulfillment. No, most often the things of this world, the things we talk about, lead to destruction. Lead to, like, they may give, like, temporary, like, good feelings or temporary, like, acceptance or whatever. But ultimately, all of them lead to death and destruction. If you believe in God, then you believe in Scripture, and Scripture tells us the world is passing away. Then why would we choose to put our stock in it? You know, this shows right here, like this fact that that so many people hitch themselves to the world that is fading, that is fleeting, as the Bible says, it shows how that could separate people from God right there. Like literally, if, we, if you're driving yourself on a car that's going downhill and God's like, you start at one place and you get in a car and you drive downhill, even if you go straight down, like you're constantly getting further away from where you started, right? Like that's no, there's no way that you can ever get closer to what you're wanting to achieve by going away from something. And so we see here that committing ourselves and connecting to these things of the world and showing affection, putting, placing our affection towards the things of this world clearly separates us from God and His will. So... The second thing that John talks about here is something we already kind of talked about. It's this idea that in the same way that a love for the world pushes out a love for God, that it can also work the other way too. That the more we fill our hearts with love for God, the more it pushes out love for the world. You know, because of the second half of verse 17 in 1 John 2 It says, whoever does the will of God will abide in him forever. Meaning the more affection that we place in God, the more our hearts are filled with him and not of the things of this world. And all of a sudden, you're on the path that is ever increasing. That you're going to abide with him forever. And if you love God, like if you come in here and you say, I love God, and you truly mean it, you don't just say that because we're in church and you feel like that's what you're supposed to say. If you come in here and you say you love God and you truly mean it, then, then you'll have to realize that this is what he wants from you and this is what he wants for you. 
Because having a commitment to loving God helps you to stay connected with him. And staying connected with him helps you to follow the, the plan and the will that he has for your life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. <clears throat> we live in a time and a place where it doesn't feel possible to love the people of this world and love God at the same time. Like, like it literally feels like, and I, and I have tons of friends that I had from high school and college that I still have relationships with that I talk to, and it feels like that if you don't appreciate or understand or accept the way that they choose to live, the things of this world, then you don't love them. Like they, they, they put up this fence that they say either you accept my sin or you don't love me. And so it feels like we're put in this weird moral gray area where it's like, okay, do I either show them love by accepting their sin or do I, do I not love them because they sin? Or like, it gets very confusing. And honestly, I can imagine because like I feel it in my own life that I'm sure as a teenager, you guys are just completely confused about how you're supposed to handle some of these relationships that you have with people who openly live a life filled with sin and tell you that if you don't accept their sin, then you don't truly love them. So how do, how do we do this? What is, what, is the, what is the key to loving someone who openly opposes God while also staying intimately connected to God personally? And I'm going to give you two things. And I'm going to be honest with you. These two things are not anything hard-hitting and they're not anything that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go from here and I'm just going to be able to handle every difficult relationship that I have in my life. Like, don't expect, but understand kind of the heart behind where I'm coming from with these two things. The first thing is to stand behind God first. If you've ever been in a debate with someone on Christianity, they can almost always come up with some metaphorical moral dilemma that seems to create a double standard in the Bible or God's law. Exactly like what I just said. Like, if you don't accept me for who I am, then you don't love me. And if you don't love me, then you're not doing what God says. But if you do accept me, then you're also not doing what God says. So therefore, Christianity can't be true because it's a double standard. Literally, if you ever have a debate with anyone on Christianity, they can create a million of these scenarios. You will come against something where they're like, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. God, God's law isn't consistent. Now, there's a bunch of these. Like I said, I'm going to give you a couple that I hear frequently. And we're going to talk about exactly like where these kind of work out. Okay, so one is that people will say the Bible says that you're to honor your father and mother. The Bible also says that you are called, to, you're supposed to attend a fellowship of believers. Go to church. Okay, that's 
So if the Bible tells you that you're supposed to honor your father and mother, and the Bible also tells you you're supposed to go to church, what do you do if your father and mother tell you you shouldn't go to church? Do you honor your father and mother? Or do you go to church? Okay, so in this scenario, someone would say, well, obviously, if God knew that there would be people who didn't want their kids to go to church, and so, you know, it's a contradiction. The Bible contradicts itself. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Or another one you'll hear is on gender roles in the church, right? Like you'll hear that, oh, well, Christianity is sexist because it says the man is rules over his wife and she's not allowed to speak in church. You know, she's not allowed. And and like they'll draw from all these things. They'll say, so how then can you choose to live a life where you have an equal partnership? You know, God tells you to have a marriage where there's an equal partnership between a man and a woman, but also that the Bible is, you know, that he's the man's supposed to have dominion over his wife. And okay. So all these things, like I'm telling you right now, people can come up with a million different metaphors of how they feel the Bible contradicts itself. But here's the reality and the truth behind all of this. When push comes to shove and we find ourselves in a similarly weird dilemma, we should always err on the side of growing closer to God okay, and doing what God calls us to do. So in the first example, okay, honor your father and mother. Go to church. Okay, now, do I think there's a right or a wrong answer here? Not necessarily, okay? Because I feel like you can honor your parents and still grow closer to God through personal Bible study. But I also think that you're not in the wrong if you attend church because God tells you to attend church and he wants you to grow as a believer. That doesn't mean that the Bible contradicts itself. it means that humanity has messed something up along the way, right? That our sin has interfered with God's plan. And so what we should always do is we should always put God first and say, you know what, God, I want you to decide for me. Like, what do you want me to do? And like you do what you feel God calling you to do. And I understand that that feels kind of mystical and weird or whatever. Like, oh, I'm going to pray to God and he's going to like, oh, he's going to put my car keys in my hand and like go take me to my car and like drive me to church. Like, <clears throat> no. But what I'm saying is if you're spending time regularly with God, he will make his will known to you. The Bible makes that very clear. So let's look at the other example. Let's say a man who's to have dominion over his wife. Well, what if... A man and a woman are in a marriage and the man doesn't believe in Christianity and doesn't believe in God and the woman does, okay? And she wants to go to church, but he's like, I don't think, I don't want you going to that church, blah, blah, blah. Like, is she supposed to submit to her husband as said in the Bible? Or is she supposed to attend church as a fellowship of believers or do things that God's called her to do, Okay. Or, in an extreme example, let's say the same scenario plays out and there's a conversation about divorce because she believes one thing and he believes another and the Bible says not to get divorced. What should they do in those scenarios? And again, the answer, the, the answer is lean into God. 
Which means I strongly feel that in those scenarios, she should attend church, continue to grow in her faith. And I think that she should be praying for her husband regularly and trying to witness to him and share the love of God with him. And if he chooses to follow some route of divorce, that does not look poorly on the woman for doing what God has called her to do. We have to understand that when we, we have these tough dilemmas, we have to put God first. So we, we place love towards God instead of towards the things of this world in these scenarios. So the first thing is to always put God first. Okay, that's how we handle these tough relationships. So, so in the scenario of, well, well, we'll get to this in just a second. The second thing to do is to check your heart. Okay, and we're going to dive into this just, just for a second. Bear with me. But here's what I'm going to ask you about this. When it comes to your relationships with people who are living in sin, do you separate yourself from people of the world because they reject God and therefore they reject you? Or because you reject them? Now let me say that again. Do you separate yourself from people who are of the world because they reject God and therefore reject you or because you reject them. Now I can honestly say that I've had a number of conversations with people that I have personal relationships with who openly live sinful lives. And I share openly with them that I believe that they live In separation from God. I don't make any mistakes about it. But never once. Now I'm not saying it will never happen because I think it very well could. But never once has someone said to me during one of these conversations. That I am forced to choose between having a relationship with them or having a relationship with God. Like the scenario I said, you either accept me for who I am and abandon your faith in God, abandon what you truly believe, or you abandon me and stick with what you believe. Now, if someone were ever to put me in that position, well, that's an easy answer. I'm going to side with God. Like, I still love them, pray for them. Look for opportunities to continue to share the gospel with them. But if they choose to reject me because of what I believe, I have to be okay with that. Now, I say check your heart because what I think happens a lot to us is as Christians, we, that conversation I said has never happened where someone makes me choose. We feel like people are making us choose between accepting them or choosing God. And so instead of them rejecting us, we reject them first. Like we're like, oh, you live in sin, be gone. And and I hate to say this, and this, this sounds kind of hateful, but at the same time, I feel it's very true. Many people who cast God's judgment on, on other people do it from a place of hatred. And they have this secret step. Like we said, God comes first and check your heart. But they have this secret step that comes before that that is 
hate the world. Okay? And, and they get confused, this hate the world or hate sin, and they just choose to hate all these things that are associated with the sins of this world. God never tells us to hate the world. He tells us to hate sin. Now, we know that sin is of the world and in the world, but God never tells us to hate. Yet many Christians hate certain groups who stand openly with sins of the world. And so they view standing behind God first, like we talked about, as a command and a platform to spew hatred on the sinners in the world. <clears throat> they, they feel that since the Bible teaches that their life, their decisions, etc., that they refuse to repent of their sin, that they should be condemned by Christians and people who believe the Bible. And in reality... God tells us something drastically different from that. God tells us to continue to love, continue to try to have a relationship with them because we understand that these people who are living in sin are destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell, which is truly the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to anyone ever. And so our heart should break when we think about these people who live in sin and openly oppose God, and we should desire to have a relationship with them so that we, continue to, we can continue to show them the love of Jesus in an attempt to share the gospel with them. Guys, anyone who would say something about you need to admonish or, or talk down to or get rid of your relationships with these people who have sin because if you accept them, you're sinning as well. Those people are not showing the love of Jesus Christ. And they're not truly connected to God in the way that they should. What they're doing is they're weaponizing the gospel to take down people who don't believe the same as them. Guys, we have to make sure that when we are rejecting the sin of the world, we're not rejecting the people who are committing the sin. We have to be very careful about that. Now, good luck trying to convince that to some people. Like, they will never see it that way. That you don't love the sin, but you love them. And if they choose to reject you in that equation, you have to just say, hey, I'm siding with God and I love you. But if you're going to choose to, to end this relationship with me, then so be it. I'm on the side of God. But those people desperately need the gospel in their life. And if we, if we spew hatred and if we reject them before they have a chance to reject us, then they will continue to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ because they will not see it as a gospel of love. They will see it as a gospel of judgment and hatred. And that is not what God has intended for his gospel to be. Guys, we have to realize this is, this is a very tough thing to discuss and realize 
that us playing, placing our affection in the things of this world or, or accepting, in a way, the sins of this world, the things that this world teaches us are okay and are good, can leave us disconnected from God. And so we have to, we have to very carefully walk this fine line. We have to understand that, like, we're called to be people who love everyone, no matter how much they sin, no matter how much they reject God, no matter what they do. But we also can't be people who openly accept the sins of this world. And I, and I wish... I truly wish, because I live in this world too, I truly wish that I had an easy answer for you guys. Because I know you guys are up against it every day when you go to school. You're surrounded by tons of kids who identify as whatever and live a life that is totally contradictory to what the Bible teaches and contradictory to what God wants for their life. And you, you have to struggle with this idea of how do I accept, how, how, how do I love you without accepting your sin? I get it. You guys have it tough, and there's no sugarcoating that. But if we truly want to be people who stay connected to God and not become disconnected from Him, then we have to realize that the first thing we have to do is fill our heart with the love of God. The Bible says that whatever you fill your heart with will overflow. Now, it's what that verse is in reference to is it's talking about if you fill your heart with evil. It says what fills your heart will overflow from your mouth, right? So if you fill your heart with hatred, bad language, and things like that, if you fill your heart with, with that kind of stuff, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. But if you're filling your heart with the love of God, what's going to come out of your mouth is love, the love of God for other people. doesn't mean that people are going to accept that love, that they're going to see it as love, but you have to know in your heart that what you're doing for them is love. Man, I know a lot of people that if I went to them and just started sharing the gospel with them, hey, you're living a life of sin. You know, Jesus died on the cross to forgive you from that sin, and all you have to do is repent and turn from the sin that you're living in and commit your life to Jesus. That's all you have to do to have eternal life with God. And I share this with you because I love you. And because I don't want you to spend eternity in hell separated from God. They would be like, you don't love me. You're rejecting who I am. Like, no, I'm not. I'm loving you. And we have to understand that the love we show to this world, the world doesn't always see as love. And so it becomes very easy for us to misplace our affection. To be like, fine, if you, if, you don't, if you don't want that love, then I'm just going to turn my back on you. We have to be people who allow ourselves to be filled up with the love of God so that it overflows from us. And then we show that love to others, even when it may not feel like it. Even when they don't choose to, to accept it. Even when it feels like 
the most wrong thing to do in the moment. We have to love. It's what the gospel was predicated on. Be people who share the gospel of love, not the gospel of hate that Christians have almost become famous for these days. Let me pray for you guys. And we still have a little bit of time, so we can hang out in here for a little bit. But let me pray for us, and then we'll be done here. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the love that you show us, God. And I just pray that you would just help us all to be people who fill our hearts with your love that we remain connected to you, that we seek after you, that we, we draw near to you, that we are filled up by you so that your love would overflow from our hearts and in our lives, God. God, I pray that you would just give us discernment in this ever-increasing difficulty to decide between love and acceptance in our world. I pray that you would help us to be people who love people while rejecting the sin of this world. That we would see the difference between rejecting sin and rejecting people and that we would love people and reject sin and help us to walk that fine line to, to show people this love and to help them to understand that, the, that what we are doing truly is love even if it doesn't look like the kind of love that they want from us. God, I pray that you would just embolden these students with a burden for sharing the gospel with their lost friends, that they would, they would invite them to church, that they would come here, that they would have a great time, but ultimately that they would learn about you and that they would hear your gospel and that they would be open to it, that they would accept it, and that they would turn their lives to you, God. We pray for a great awakening in the teenagers of our community, God, that you would just soften their hearts to your words. Make them receptive to your gospel. God, we pray for this youth group that you would just help us to continue to be a light in this world of darkness. That we would take these words, that we would would remain connected to you and allow these words that you are teaching to us to to run throughout our lives, God. God, we, we pray all this, that you would just do a mighty work in each of us individually and in this group as a whole, God. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.